0: Hello, my name's John Busby, I play in a band called Halfway, we've been together for about two decades, making records and touring and doing the stuff that bands do. We've decided to make a podcast to mark our 20th anniversary. So essentially we're just going through our albums one by one and talking to the people who were with us when we made them or that helped us make them. And at the moment, we're up to the third album, uh, An Outpost of Promise, and this is the second half of uh, my rundown of that. And in this episode, I'm going to talk to Robert Forster of The Go-Betweens. The Go-Betweens are a legendary band, a very influential indie rock band in Australia and around the world. And as I'll mention in the interview, they were a big influence on me as a kid when I was trying to first find my feet trying to make records. I mean, they were light years ahead at the time, but they'd marked a path that looked like other bands could follow. And it seemed like they'd gone away that avoided all of the sort of obviousness of rock and roll, all of the sort of posturing and posing that was prevalent at the time. They seemed to have none of that, all void of it, and it was pretty spectacular, really. And it wasn't just us they'd influenced. It influenced, like, the Smiths, you know, bands who went on to be fucking Goliaths and sadly in 2006 Grant McLennan passed away but they remain an extremely influential band and Robert is still making great solo records After Grant's death, the Queensland Government and the Go-Betweens put together a songwriting fellowship in his honour and we were lucky enough to win it in 2008 it was great Uh, it meant a lot to us and as I mentioned in the last app we became good friends with Robert as a result of the fellowship and we decided to ask him to produce our third album An Outpost of Promise. And Robert's take on production was not like anything we'd kind of encountered before. The plan was to bring all of the songs back just to their bare bones, acoustic and vocal, and then go through each song and add the instrumentation, one instrument at a time. and. Uh, and the idea was just to work out which songs were the strongest and which parts on each song were the most needed or and which ones were superfluous. And we went through this at a rehearsal at the Halfway House for a few weeks of pre-production before we started the um, recording itself. And as you'd expect, it was a pretty gruelling process, pulling the songs apart and putting them back together right before you're about to record, you know, kind of... Um, I wouldn't say it made things tense, but it certainly made everyone think very hard about their parts and what their jobs were, that's for sure. But, um, in the long run, it worked. You know, it it was tricky, but it worked. But we'll go into that in more detail in the chat. Also, before I start the interview, I'll mention that we actually covered two albums in this chat. Albums 3 and 4, An Outpost to Promise and Any Old Love. The band did both albums with Robert Forster, so I figured it would just make sense to cover both in the one interview. So here he is, indie rock legend and Australian music pioneer, Robert Forster.
1: Hi Robert,
0: how's it going? It's John. Good, thank you. Where are you? I'm looking out now at Darwin Harbour. Oh wow
2: that must
0: be nice yeah just looking out over the water uh the sun just set about five minutes ago wow
2: wow okay and how's it how are you going up there
0: good yeah i enjoyed it i mean i'm a long way right. from the band so that's obviously a concern but it is a good and, town.
2: and how's the band how how are all the boys
0: yeah the band are good robert uh i've been sending them demos and uh vice versa that's going well right
2: great great
0: that's demoing away chipping away while we're in a uh, lockdown So, what got you into music, Robert? Before we get into
2: the production stuff, I guess um, I am radio uh, in the through the '60s when I was um, a young boy, um, and um, like I didn't become a teenager till the '70s. Yeah. Um, so it was just no one in my family was musical or I didn't encounter anyone that was musical it was basically just whenever the radio was on um pop radio yeah. um it, it just sort of caught my ear so I was just hearing little bits and pieces through the 60s like hits but I wasn't um you know playing an instrument or I was in the house where 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 people um were, were playing instruments Sure,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, the radio, I mean, that's kind of the, the same way I got into music. I wasn't surrounded by people doing that either. Would have been nice, though, wouldn't it?
2: It would have been, it would have been, um, I probably would have been a different, um, for better or worse, I really don't know. Um, and in a way, everything turned out fine. Yeah. So yeah. so it doesn't really matter. The, the only problem was that, um, you know, just the struggle and difficulty to find it and um you know what a shock it is to your family when you follow it and they because they haven't got music in and their lives is foreign you know um yeah and um you know a little bit difficult to understand you know like my family were very um sport obsessed and i was too when i was young you know like uh, yeah um so that you know but you know so it's more difficult um, because I have to sort of forge my own way. But in hindsight, perhaps that was a good thing.
0: It's a good way to get into music, actually, just through music rather than musical instruments. In a way, I guess you, you start to try yeah, and work no, out what right. songs are first, don't
2: you? That's right. That's and and also, I was just listening to music for pure pleasure, yeah. and uh, and uh, you know, it was just turning on. Brisbane AM radio, and um, it was just, you know, something new every three minutes, you know, just coming at you. Yeah, uh, I can hear good. a bit
0: of AM in that song on Inferno. Remain.
2: Is there a little bit of oh, AM yeah. in that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you oh, know it, what I mean? Some it's, sort it's of glenn
0: some... Campbelly thing going on there, or yeah, something? Yeah, Is yeah. No, no
2: that... I, it's, it's always, it's always um, there with me, and. Uh, it's really um, still in my mind in a way, especially um, also Credence. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, were, were, were big for me. And um, that feel, um, it's simplicity, really. Um, yeah. But as you know, you know trying to do simplicity and make it sound good and original is a really, really hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> those are the people that I, you know, like, this, who I was first exposed to. Um, yeah, like Glen Campbell, you know, Creedence. Whatever was a hit from Tyler. about nine, you know, from the late 60s in particular to the mid-70s uh, was was um, an influence on me, definitely.
0: There was some real cream rising to the top there as well, wasn't there? You oh, know yeah. I mean?
2: It was good stuff. No, no, and it was very song-based. Yeah. And, um, um, I mean, the 60s were, were, were probably better for songs. Uh, you know, like if... Where the 70s were good songs, but you know, like the the, the production side of it sort of exploded, um, for, in in good ways and bad ways. But um, um, the 70s still had a lot of good songwriting um going on that made it into the charts. There was really a flow on from the 60s. But then you know, like you you, you know, Knocking on Heaven's Door was a hit. You know, like that yeah. was the first time I was exposed to Dylan was. Not, you know, sitting down with a bag of pot and listening to Blonde on Blonde, but, you know, like it was a pop record. You know, it was Dylan coming over the radio um, beside Abba and T-Rex and, you know, um, yeah. a whole lot of other crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but but that's that's how I, you know, Bowie, you know, through Starman, oh, yeah. you know, like it was all those singles that, that, that drew me into um, artists' work.
1: Red and blue and white.
0: I was actually I was asked about you the other day on 4ZZZ and and I kind of uh, described you as someone who would be good at any art like you know I I just thought you could have been a writer a a painter if you'd whatever you chose to do from the start I, I think you would have
2: you would well, have worked very kind it out. Do you. you know what I mean? That's right. Really, yeah, yeah. No, that's very really kind of you. I, I, I have no aptitude aptitude for it, but I would love to be a painter. But you, and, you know, uh, yeah,
0: you have the mindset for it. I just see. I just think it would turn into some kind of art, uh, good art. You know. Anyway.
2: Yeah. No. Look. I think. I think you're right. And. Um, and. Um. I mean, the amazing thing is, I wasn't really exposed to any of it, you know, looking back, I mean, the only thing I was, I was really exposed to, like in the school system, say, was words, you know, because we all did English and we all had books to read at school, you know, even if you left school at 15 or 17 or whatever, there were books, and so that was one thing you were exposed to, which I guess got me onto the lyric writing and, and that side of things, because, that was you know there was no one who sort of grabbed me at you know like 12 or 13 and, and you know said okay we're going to do drawing classes and i'm going to teach you the history of art you know that person wasn't there there wasn't anyone to you know exactly, mm, yeah. here's a camera you know get into photography Probably. the one thing that was was reading those books in the school syllabus and so and then that flows into lyric writing and music
0: makes yeah. sense makes total sense
1: Nothing by Did you and me were right. Love is not enough. Anytime.
2: When did you become aware of the band? Halfway. Um, it was through Adele. Um, yeah. we we were over at her place. She was living in Arthur Terrace. In Paddington, Red Hill. Do you, know, you know Arthur Terrace? A lot of people lived on Arthur Terrace. Ah, uh, yes, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was living there. And I was over there, and I was—I think we were doing something for my album, *The Evangelist*. It, I think it was after Grant had died, and I, I think—I think her and I were working on songs for *The Evangelist*. And this might have, might have been 2006, 2007. Yeah. She had your first album, and I borrowed it. You know, like I, I don't know. I just looked at it, and I said, you know, what's this? And she's only a bit about halfway. And I saw, you know, like Wayne Connolly it, And I just went, you know, just to look at the record. And I said, oh, this looks interesting. She said, I'll borrow it. It's really good. Um, and so I took it home. I listened to it. I really liked it. You know, like really was impressed with it. I think that was that was the, that was the start.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. yeah. Grant had been to a couple of our shows, um once or twice. All right. And we knew him through St. Jude when we did a we were in a little indie rock band in the 90s and we were recording yeah, yeah, yeah. and Grant popped in. And uh he did a backing vocal on a song for us. Yeah, and that was really great. And then years later, um we were in the interview process for the fellowship and uh Chris and I were sitting there and there was yourself and Glenn Thompson and yeah. Adele. And you stood up and said, Ah, halfway, patience back, it's in A eh? And then you started to tell us about the song and the band and we were like, Yeah. Holy shit, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> Chris and I.
2: Yeah. We were pretty taken back, I think it's fair to say. That. <laughs> well that's funny. That was that's good. funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like that, that was... But, the, but that first album is filled with great songs and Wayne's production and what he was doing was, you know, like really, really great. There, there's a lovely feel to that record.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's something nice about it, isn't there? We did half mm. of that with Wayne and half of it. Banny and I recorded it uh, in an old Queenslander in, in Windsor. Oh, really? Yeah, we did half of it ourselves just because well, we just had no money.
2: Oh, yeah, I And, you know, those that.
0: these things get expensive. Yeah, though.
2: sure. Did he mix the stuff that you and Benny had done? You
0: know, we had a guy from Anala help us mix uh, the stuff Benny and I had done. Um, okay. Michael Bukowski. Oh, yeah. right, okay. I know his brother, Joe. Yeah, Joe Bukowski was friends with, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how we did that, which was, which was good. And then from there, I guess it just rolled on and there was the... Uh, we went to London for the McLennan Fellowship, and you were—you just happened to be there at the time. I remember that, and you, we we played a show over there and stuff.
2: At the Borderline.
0: Yeah, we played a show at the Borderline. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. just Chris and myself. Yeah, but... no,
2: I was. Yeah, no, I was there. It was. Yeah. It was great to see. You know, like that. You were there. You know, just when I was passing through. I don't know what I was doing there, but um, um, no, that was fantastic.
1: Left with little love
0: and then uh, we teed up the record we got you to produce and yeah and the um, the key to that was the rehearsal process we did two kinds of rehearsal we we pitched the songs to you for one yeah because we decided right from the start that well if you were going to produce you choose the songs and that's how we'd work it which we did for both records right any old love as well yeah Yeah, yeah. then it was Chris and I at your place again playing acoustic um, yeah I remember
2: that. Talked to you about, about the, the songs. I
0: think it was out in the shed. Out in the yeah. shed, yeah out the back, yeah. Yeah, you picked the songs and then we uh uh what did we have, two or three weeks before the recording at at the halfway house there in Everton Park where you'd yeah, come along We and... we
2: Yeah, we, we were over there. Um but you know, like I, I just think with with um with what what I wanted to do with with getting You and Chris over was, you know, to hear the record from the singer-songwriters. You know, like I think, I just think that is just really important that you hear the songs wherever they go after that. You actually hear the intent of the singer-songwriters. You actually hear the bones of it and know what they think the song is. Do you know what I mean? Um, And and also, I just wanted to hear the guitar that you played on Chris's stuff and the guitar that Chris played on your stuff and the the working between the two guitars um, so that I just sort of knew that dynamic or, you know, like you've chosen to do those two things as a two piece to play, you know, how you play on each other's songs. And I thought, you know, like that's important to get that on the record too, you know, like that sort of interaction um, between, you know, like just right the basis of the whole thing to have that guitar into play. Even if, you know, you don't use it but you know what it was at the start and and also just to hear all the material, you know, like um and just sort of go, Okay, you know, play everything you got. It goes back to this is what was probably going on you know, I don't know in the 1920s or the 30s you know like what people recording in the 40s or 50s yeah. certainly in the 60s you know like a a producer works with any sort of songwriter or band leader or sitting down with someone who's playing piano in broadway and you know like 1930 it'd be like play me everything you got you know like that's just the, yeah. you know, like the, the basic premise of it all really and uh so you, you just know what's on the table. And so yeah. that that was the first process. And then it was then you can go into the practice room because you actually know what, what the songs are in the most basic form. Yeah. And so you, you don't walk into a practice room and it's just a blur, you know, like six seven people playing and you're just going where's the start of this where where's what's the source you know then yeah then you can sort of start to see how the songs fit into what the band's doing and then you can start to at the same time sort of put start to okay let's put drums to that let's put bass to that let's what's the keyboard play okay you know what what are the 50 boys doing okay you know and you just start to add it on and see where everything is and where it sits
0: yeah I totally get that and it worked I mean I had to listen to it today and it's surprisingly uh, it's clear in its intent like the. it's just very defined
2: yeah. yeah it is it is I've listened to it too and and, and you know like it's the way that, that I was taught as well you know like because I work with two really good producers one was a guy called John brand who who did before Hollywood like a go betweens record and the other guy yeah. was Mike Wallace who did 16 lovers Lane and oceans apart yeah and 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 both of them were very I watched them tear apart songs and put them back together and uh, i mean both of them were engineers and which i am not but but both of them were very you know like about parts it's all about you know um bringing things into recording um and 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 um, building up a song or taking a song through so i mean that's what i sort of learnt off i i was just going through a process a little bit different but basically what what i i'd seen happen to
1: to go to, years. Yeah, that was the first time we'd done that,
0: and uh, and it definitely worked. And uh, I, I think part of it is the band has to buy into it, don't they? You know, like. Oh yeah. I mean, in a band, it's only natural to want to play. No one wants to be told not to play. Yeah, no, no,
2: that's that's true. You know, you always just hope that, uh, and sometimes it's, you know, that's the difficult thing. It's not until you're actually in the studio and, you know, and playing, hearing the song with all the overdubs and where people come in and where people leave off, that you actually go, oh, mm-hmm. you know, that's what was, you know, like, that was the end goal. Yeah. And, and if you can hear that, which you know, I hope people did and I think they did, then, then you go, oh, I see, you know, like, that's how it all fits together. And also, you know, like, with Halfway, with, you know, six, seven people playing on it, every song, you've got to do that to get light and shade and, mm-hmm. and movement and where things surge and then drop. But really I was just taking all the cues from your songwriting, because that's what your songs did. It wasn't like you and Chris, you know, sat down and played me dense metal. It was just like, oh, okay, everyone's going to be playing it, you know, um, at this ferocious in your face thing for five minutes with no letter. You know, you weren't playing me those kind of songs. You know, like in a way I was just taking what I heard, what you were doing was coming from the songs you were writing, you know.
0: You know, it still sometimes gets brought up now, Robert. Uh, when we're rehearsing and recording, one of the boys will mention that, you know, we're a better band for going through that process uh, with you on an Outpost of Promise.
2: Great. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Well, you know, like, I, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, you know, just to keep those things in front of mind and yeah. be a little bit more self-aware or considered. Yeah. We just never had it before because in a big band, it's fun to play. And the idea of not playing, well, at the time was a bit foreign.
2: Yeah, I know. And yeah, I mean, it's also, if you've got space and arrangement, then everyone's part becomes bigger anyway, because you're not fighting to get amidst a whole wall of instrumentation. And really, the producers that I learned of, you know, John Brandon and Mark Wallace, and the English producers who are very much into that sort of stuff yeah. you know like English English producers and you can go back obviously you know to, to George Martin very very part orientated yeah um, right. very very much where Americans tend to be a lot more although they do that a lot more feel yeah you know if you look at listen to Blues records or muscle Shoals or really anything everyone's sort of playing and it's like okay we're, we're doing this in a funky way yeah um, and yeah the tape's rolling just put it down but yeah gun, yeah you know, yeah sort of... yeah which which tends to be more the american way um and and, and to an extent the australian way where england's a lot more bitty and arrangement orientated which which is what i've sort of learned a bit but you know like but but that's still there's lots of arrangements in yeah. american uh, rock records or folk records or whatever.
0: Of Mark Wallace and Sixteen Lovers Lane. Um yeah. when I was a kid in Rockhampton, I was eighteen when that came out. Yeah. oh uh, yeah, it just hit us hard. It was indie rock, but it had an air of sophistication about the production that just Yeah. Yeah, it was it sounded every bit as good as R.E.M. or the Smiths or anything like that. It wasn't just the production, it was the songs as well, but they were perfectly matched. I knew what indie rock was and and I understood it and that was beautiful, and I loved it for its simplicity, but that had this sort of about it, and it, all yeah. these layers. It was quite detailed and thought out. Yeah, we were like, yeah. I, I remember talking to my friends, just going, "Okay, right, you know, it sounds as good or better than the Smiths or any of those great bands." And yeah these guys are from Brisbane. We could possibly do this. You know, this is plausible. yeah Yeah, no,
2: that's this fantastic, and you know, you know, Grant was the...
0: born in Rockhampton, so you know that was kind yeah. of one thing we were clinging on to. Like, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, no, that record uh, hit us hard.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I um, mean, and you know, it was recorded down in Sydney, so you know, it's not like it was done in New York or or, or anything like that. Yeah, well, you know, came
0: out for it, huh? Is that the deal? He, he came out.
2: Yeah, he came out. He came out. He 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 heard the the demo. Grant and I did a just like going back to what we we're talking before, you know, like Grant and I did an eight song demo, and just him and I on acoustic guitars, and um, and that's sent over, and, and he just loved those songs, you know, and and you know, like this is not to You know puff up too much you know like anything you know about the songwriting on the record but you know like you know like a great producer needs songs you've 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 got to you know you you, you can't do all those guitar parts you can't do all those sounds you can't do all those arrangements if you just got muck it's got to be something um there but also you know like with working with halfway you know like on that record was was that I'd also, what I'd learned from listening to records, you know, and, you know, it was just taking that template and putting it to you guys and and the songs and the band were there to play it. I mean, that, that was the great thing was that the, the songs were there, sure, but the band was there. Yeah. To do all of that and just go, look, come in on the second verse, it's going to sound great. You know, like, just do that lick, you know, it sounds great playing it all the way through. But if you just have it in the choruses, it's going to just push those choruses. But, you know, the band's good enough to have all those parts and do all that stuff that Halfway had on those records that I worked on. And then, you know, that makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think of a song like, oh, you know, any of them really, but... um... Sweetheart Please Don't Start, you know, where we hold the whole, all the way through the intro. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely no way, I wrote that song when I was on the fellowship actually. I remember, yeah. You know, it's a homesick thing, you know, it has that feel about it, you can sort of feel it in it. But um, there's absolutely no way we could have uh, done that previously, that we just didn't have the patience for it, and nor did I, to just stand there and play for the first minute of the song with six guys standing around going, Looking at their watches, you know. <laughs> no, you know, see,
2: do you know the, what I mean? The, like the, to have the patience yeah, yeah, to do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and and that is a great recording. That's that's a great, great thing. I mean, when 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 I heard that, when you played me that, and you know, like I was thinking Metallica. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And and, and that's that's what they do. You know, like you can, yeah. you can record an electric guitar, and they Metallica's are great. You know, you, you can record an electric guitar, and you know, it's got that. That presence, and and you're playing suits because you you've got that sort of cupped, um, muted yeah, thing in a way that thing, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. That that um, the guy whoever's playing guitar in Metallica has um, as well, and yeah. and you know like and they can go you listen they can go for minutes, you know, with just that and um, you know maybe little other bits you know screeching around in it, and he's singing. And you just know the band's going to come in at some stage, and that's the great thing. You know, like, and, and these metal bands know that. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. and it's like, and and it just gives you. Um, the other thing is, if you start with that, you've got and like that was a long song, yeah. with lovely melodic bits. You know, it's it's everything's going to carry, everything's going to work when everyone comes in. It's going to be fantastic over the five or six minutes that it works, where if everyone's in, the song is searching for breath after about two and a half minutes, do you know what I mean? It's, Absolutely, it's, yeah. That was the template for that. I was just thinking, this could go like a Metallica song, and um, and it really works, you know. And also, you know, like, you know, Elwyn's drums. Yeah. He can play that sort of stuff. It's not like you've got a drummer who's like, you know, some indie person, a bit, you know, yeah, a bit cloppy, a bit this, and a, a bit soft, you know that you've got someone who can, you know, come in and ride it all out with high power. Yeah. yeah. And I knew that Ellen could do that. And so, like, you starting down there and him coming in, I just thought between you two, you just take all the band with you, do you know what I mean? Which is basically what happened.
0: Yeah, I remember it fondly. It was—I uh, can still remember trying to work it out. The whole process—it was cool.
2: Yeah, no, that was that was a great. I was thinking of that song something we were talking before. That was a a, a great moment. It was, uh,
0: yeah, just one of those things that it's a combination of the song and the recording process where you—it'd be hard to just—you couldn't imagine it when you wrote it, and you know.
2: Yeah, and also, you know, like I was also thinking, you know, like people we used to your sound, you know, and so they knew like um everyone playing, you know, like a lot of instrumentation on your your records. A lot of it great, you know, like but but a lot of instrumentation and so it's like when a song of yours just starts on the th- the third album with just one guitar for the first minute and a half, it's like what the fuck is this? You know, like <laughs> it's do true you know what I mean it's like yeah. Yeah, it's you know like like you just want to shock people, you know yeah. like that's and it's like, it's you know it's it's John Busby singing, but there's no band. Yeah. Where's the band?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have done it unless I was prompted.
2: That's <laughs> for sure. Because I, know, I just... but, but you know, but, but I think that's good, cool, yeah, you know like all you're, all like
1: what's in your head? books, booze, and Oscar De sweet hands. Well, we out Luck had run out
0: Okay, so here it is Sweetheart, Please Don't Start from our third record Now I post a promise
1: Sweetheart, please don't start I only played my part Read a line On a sheet I say it And it's true I'll leave what's left for you I get home and I believe please don't start No please don't start I said my little love look through the stars above A can guide they can see please don't stop please don't stop coming home love watch you to me or any other night she said you know you're right I don't know I don't see instead of get you hurt there's all lies I don't believe please don't
0: It was a cool process to go through anyway, Robert. Bit harrowing, but we enjoyed it.
2: Oh, good. Yeah, the material, it was a good combination of songs like, you know, like Oscar that were, you know, like quite um, poppy. You guys, you know, got quite a spectrum, which I like. And, but it's the same when you're, you know, talking about Sweetheart, you know, like, there's also a rock band there that can rock hard. And so when when you know, just go back to that song for a second, yeah. I knew that that you could howl it out like yeah, that, yeah. like like an, another band that I that I like at the end of that song. You know, I don't know if you know a band called the Screaming Trees. You know, like from.
0: I do know the Screaming Trees. Yeah, they had a couple of really good.
2: Yeah, they were they were a a,
0: a, really a good Seattle
2: song. band, and they they are, that was also something that I was thinking about. You know, yeah. Benny's. They're very muscular, you know, Benny's bass playing, Elwyn's drumming.
0: Yeah, they can really cover that kind of thing, can't they? Get tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mark Lenigan played in The Screaming Trees, didn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. 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 They had a song called, um, what, You Almost Lost Me, Dan? Nearly lost you. Oh, Jesus! That was a good rock song, wasn't oh, it? Oh, I love that song. I play that every now and then and think, Oh my God, I used to love that song back in about 1993 or whatever
0: it was. It was. And when you think about it, with grunge rock, there were some great songs, but there was so much garbage as well, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? There was so yeah, much yeah. bad metal and rubbish posing as alt rock. It was terrible. I but know. But that song really stood out. Yeah.
2: No, that that was a really good song. That's a, that's a really good. Lurching Big, I love that song, yeah. But, you know, it's a good flavor to have in there. Yeah, you know? it's there, I guess, yeah. if
0: you need it, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a
0: good record to us, that record, and... Um...
2: Good, and it was lovely working with Wayne. Wayne was great. Oh, he was just, he, he, he was so good, and um, that studio, I just love that the studio. That was just... That's how I love to make a record. you know, like just a Brisbane, Albion, the yeah. sheds, the a Neve Desk, couple of rooms, you know, the band standing around in rooms, you know, just lovely, lovely.
0: had any old Love after that. Comparison of the two records, what do you you see as the major differences? You may never think about it but sometimes I do. I know
2: I do. Um, Well that was was different because I very much liked um, working down at that studio in Dollar Street. At
0: Gasworks
2: there? Yeah, Gasworks. And that was good. And Phil Graham was fantastic. Phil was good, wasn't he? Oh, he he was um, you know, like uh, it took me a while to realize, you know, like what he was good at and, and what he was doing. Although, you know, the sounds were good from the start. Yeah. But he he sort of had this this sort of 80s rock pop thing going. Um, he could do that really well. It was like, um, it was like, it was very um, like Sydney in the mid 80s or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't know if this is ringing any type of bells with you. Yeah, totally. I know what you say. Um, you know, something like you know, and all of this is good stuff. You know, like um, post, you know, Paul Kelly or, or or the one after You know, the double album. What's that one? Gossip. Was it Gossip? Yeah. That was cool. Anyway, yeah. the second, the second, the big Paul Kelly record. It's like that. You know, like and, and also you know, Lime Spiders or you know, just that sort of very meaty. Um, and I I like that and. Yeah. Um, he was, really, like, really good. I thought he was a very good, very good engineer, very good person to work with.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying with the 80s indie rock thing. Yeah, that really rings true. Especially listening to it now, it's really apparent.
2: Yeah, but he was really good with the ballads too. Like, some of those, you know, like, songs were were quite, quite sparse. And I always liked that two things. You know, like, I like, you know, that sort of more lonesome that country thing and then uh, you know like and and more the sort of the pop you know
0: yeah i guess we did we we actually chased the the country or the thematic kind of country thing a bit on that record didn't we We you know well with yeah i don't know shakespeare hotel and sunlight on the seals there was some pretty yeah sparse that was a very good
2: yeah they were very very good songs it was almost like you were coming out of the last record and and looking ahead
0: yeah i think you might be right i i can remember i played you uh we were at my place it was just you and me uh well at my mum's place at Everton park when we were demoing for any old love and i played you the start of uh shakespeare hotel and you said um, this is the best song you've written yeah uh you know it was just three bars in or whatever and and you know like you were like okay okay what happens now kind of
2: thing it was just
0: sort of you know because we were pitching songs to you and, uh... yeah, no,
2: no, no. I, 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 and I remember that, um, too. And it was, and sunlight as well. Very much a sparseness there and a slow down. It was going for something in your songwriting, something, I don't know, like richier and deeper and sparser and a little bit more yeah. simplified. It was, um, yeah. And yeah. I think also, that's when also you you were were playing a lot more acoustic guitar.
0: That's right. Um, because John Wilsteed had joined the band. You know, there was this feeling that there was just too many electric guitars. You know what I mean? So... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And you had the um, the Gibson. Yeah, I bought a J forty five. Yeah. But then you know, like I think also like Willsted with what he does, very much suited for songs like Dulcify and all of that. Really? Very much helped with with Phil Graham. You know, like he could, he could, he could grasp that because wilsteed can play in that sort of style that we're talking about before. Do you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and those songs did kind of suit it. I guess it was. They are quite wildly different records, aren't they? In a way. Yeah, they are. There's more of an AM, like you were saying, AM radio before. I think because I wrote a lot of those songs about um, about my parents breaking up or whatever in the 70s, I sort of had set it there, and then in my mind it was. Uh, well, you know, I was just pulling on. An AM radio thing, and trying to or get close to that classic shape that country songs have on AM radio. You know, like uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know Tom T. Hall, or I don't know something like that, or maybe not Tom T. Hall, but
2: no, Tom T. Hall's a good yeah, a good yeah. person. To, you know, to
0: flesh it out, and yeah, yeah, and the single note run thing and stuff that Will Steeds great at it was just yeah, right
2: there
0: yeah. for him, wasn't it? You're right. Yeah. I never really thought about it like
2: that for can you know, he can do a lot of you know, the good guitar work on Sixteen Lovers Lane with him, you know. But he can do that and, and he can go into a lot more rootsier stuff too, you know. John Eats up song, you know, you play him stuff I can remember telling him, you know, like when we're doing I think we're doing Sixteen Lovers Lane and I've said this to him as a compliment, and i said to him, you know, you like Jerry Garcia, and and he looked at me, he, he thought I was taking the piss, or, you know, like, I was, you know, um, you know, like, um, insulting him. <laughs> um, that's what John is at, you know, like, yeah. John is, that's the guitarist She reminds me of the most, is Jerry Garcia, is that he can do um, a lot of electric, intricate stuff, play it really well melodically. um, the way you know, Jerry Garcia can do it. But then he can virtually pick up an acoustic guitar and go, Rootsy. And then then you can virtually put a mandolin in his hand and he can do, he'd be trilling little lines. Yeah, put a Spanish guitar in it. And he goes off, you know, like the the solo from from Streets. He's just got that, you know, like a lot of genres in him that he can do well. And then, you know, like that twangy um, country pop thing, he's got that as well, you know, like he's, he's got that ability.
1: Walk with
0: me now, I'm your man. They both did well for us, they were both good, important records for the band, and uh, yeah, look, the band themselves, like I said, they are. You know, I look back on the time working with you very fondly, Robert. Really oh
2: do. good. I look back on like both records very fondly, you know, like it was, uh, you know it was a very successful collaboration, yeah. and um, we' just you know like I, I also think you were at that time where what I could do, helped you know like it, it was almost like a meeting I, I you know you were at a certain point and and i was at a certain yeah. point with what i could perceive in the band and it worked on those two records you know like and then you know you, you have to go off and then you know like go on and do everything that you've you know like you've done um but at that point that just you know for those two records like that, that was just a a good meeting of you know i felt with you know like what you guys had and what i could suggest, and it worked really
0: well. Yeah, and I think we're a better band for it, Robert. And even now at rehearsal, uh, if things are getting too busy or noisy, someone will say, well, I'm not sure
2: what Robert would think. Great. Right, I know. Well, I'm glad that my ghost is still haunting the (laughs) practice
0: room. Yeah, we've taken you with us. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That's good. Well, it's been terrific to chat, Robert. I won't hold you all night. Okay. hope you've enjoyed it
2: i i have john it's been lovely it's been lovely and you know like i wish you the best with with what you're doing you know like you know the things i've heard that they sound great and and um you know you've got you've got a time and a place up there to to work on this how many songs how many songs you got uh, Uh, i I know you can have bits and pieces but how many songs do you think think you've got? got about i've got about 10. great look i'm very happy to hear that you've got 10 songs and um do you have any idea, like, when, when you'll be able to fly back here? Um, I guess in July, August? Maybe July, yeah. It's
0: a little bit up in the air, but, you know, as soon as there is a flight, I'll be... I'll be down for rehearsal. Yeah, we miss it terribly, so.
2: Well, lovely talking to you, John, and, you know, stay in touch, email me things, you know, like oh, anything. Okay. They're great songs. You're, you're on fire. And say hello to the band.
0: Great, Robert. Take care. Okay. Always good to talk to you. Okay,
2: lovely to talk to you, John. Speak soon. Bye.
0: Okay, so that was my chat with Robert Foster. Member of the go-betweens and our producer for our third and fourth albums. An outpost of promise and any old love. It was a process like nothing we'd been through before. We learned a lot. And I enjoyed the chat. I wasn't expecting to talk about the screaming trees or James Hetfield's rhythm guitar style. But that's Robert. He's unpredictable. In the best kind of way. And I'll just say that uh, The Adele that Robert's talking about in Arthur Terrace is Adele Pickfans, the bass player for the Go-Betweens, and a stack of other great bands. So that's the end of my chat with Robert, and that concludes my rundown of An Outpost of Promise. So I'll play one more song before we move on to Any Old Love in the next episode. And this one is a bit unusual, it's a dedication. I wrote this song when I got back from the Grant McLennan Fellowship in 2008. It's a song of friendship, like I think I mentioned in the last episode, but I want to dedicate it to Matt Dever. He was our sound guy from 2010 to, I guess about 2018 or somewhere around there until he moved to Tasmania. He traveled with us as well. Uh, We went to the States together. We played a thousand shitholes together. It's a pretty thankless job, front of house. And I know this was a favorite of his and we never really played it live. So we'll give it a run now. Okay, so here it is. To our front of house guy, Matty Deva. this is Bluebird Tattoo from an outpost of promise. Floating
1: into the shop, yeah we got a couple there, yeah we got a couple there, follow them. Went on into the town, yeah. We had a couple more, out, uh, we had a couple more on the way. Rolled into the party, yeah, son. People took a fence, some People took a fence uh, in the end. They said, I'll call you now. We said, I'll meet you where you stand, yeah. I'll meet you where you and you Lane.
0: Okay, so that's the end of episode five. I hope you enjoyed the rundown of An Outpost of Promise and the interview with Robert Forster. Next week, we'll go through Any Old Love, our fourth album, which we again recorded with Robert, with some help from Peter Jesperson and uh, Phil Graham, this time engineering. So it was a similar setup to Outpost, but some of the themes were quite different and we pushed Any Old Love in more of a narrative-driven way. I know a lot of people say that now when they release records and it's a bit of an overused term, but with this one, we really did try and wrap it around a story quite tightly. But we'll go through all of that next week. So for now, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of A Band Called Halfway. Take care.